hamster with a blunt penknife would do it quicker. <laughs> Welcome back to a hamster with a blunt penknife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast. Uh, boys, hello, Fraser, Simon. Hello. Hello. Simon sounds very formal. Sigh. Good evening. How are you, Joe? <laughs> how, how fucking formal. <laughs> um, so I have a question for you both, uh, and it is regarding season 20 and the bringing back a, an element of the series past. Do you think that was a smart idea, and do you think they did it well? Yes. Yes. And no. Uh, no. Oh, <laughs> okay. I want to hear both of your yeses first. Fraser, you first. Yes, it was a good idea to bring an element back from the series past in every story, but um, the elements that they chose are not the ones they should have chose. Oh, no. Well, I think it's all scuppered by there not being the big Dalek story at the end as originally planned. And it's also scuppered by the only returning thing in... Terminus being the Black Guardian who'd returned from the previous week. <laughs> I mean, I suppose it all culminates in the Five Doctors, doesn't it? Which has yes everything but the kitchen sink thrown in, and I think even that might and be quite right too. Imagine if this season had ended on the Dalek story instead of the King's Demons. Yeah, exactly. And we'd have had Peter Grimway back directing, and it wouldn't have caused the ructions with JNT. That eventually came, and we might have had Peter Grimray for season 21 and season 22 and season 23 then, and all of that. Imagine it's if a they big had, loss. If they'd handed the twin dilemma to Peter Grimway. Exactly. That would have, yeah, everyone would have been much happier, I think. Probably. Probably. And do you know what? I think we were kind of robbed from him. After what he did with the Sidemen, we were robbed from him not doing a Dalek story, weren't we? Exactly. I think it would have been really spectacular. I mean, Matthew Robinson does great work with, with it next year, but there's just something about Peter Grimwade's direction. He's He just brings something magical to all his stories, something really dynamic. Even when he's got no budget in Logopolis, he gives the whole thing so much atmosphere mm. and i think yeah, that hinders that would have yeah the end of episode exactly. is something else yeah and earthshock i mean earthshock is just phenomenally well directed and do you remember all those lovely asses he showed off in full circle <laughs> how could you not forget the asses in Sorry, full circle <laughs> and earthshock <laughs> go on stop it <laughs> you know Lucy McCall's brigadier's lingering about somewhere, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got, we've got two of them in this story. So there you go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, well, look, we best give it to episode four. Um, yeah. I am ready to go if you are. I am. Yep. Then let us go in five, four, three, two, and van. Let's go. So, do you agree with Janet Fielding? Does he look... Pete, you look like you've been goosed in the title sequence. What? I think he, Peter Davison said he was trying to do a Tom Baker. Oh, the... And make the eyes big and, and things like that. And he's just not quite <laughs> there. But I think it's a nice picture. I love the logo. That's my favourite Doctor Who logo. If there's one thing that Peter Davison is not, it's Tom Baker. <laughs> it's Tom Baker. Exactly. <laughs> 
Oh, so I think you'd look very fetching in one of those skirts, you know, honestly. <laughs> yeah, maybe I could pull that off. I don't know. Um, so it all went disastrously wrong. <laughs> so let's talk about our two guest stars that we haven't spoken about yet. So we've got David Collings, who is always, I think, a touch of class, and Valentine Dial, who is returning after one of our last commentaries, the Armageddon Factor. (laughs) He didn't have the biggest of roles in the Armageddon Factor. No. But he had much more to do here, didn't he? He does. He does have a lot more to do here. Um, And he does it very well, doesn't he? I actually think yeah. Yeah, that's hilarious. I think his best moment is at the end of Terminus, that massive close-up on his face. Kill the doctor. In the name of all that is evil, kill him now. <laughs> and I do think David Collins, I mean, I've never seen David Collins give anything but a superlative performance. But I do rank his pull just a little bit higher because the sequences where he succumbs to robophobia, I think, are so chilling. The bit where he finds the blood on the hand and all of that. What is it? They pretend we control them. But really? But really? really? Yes. He's terrific. But he's very, very good in this. In a fairly demanding role because it could have been super boring. It's very chatty, you know? Yeah. He's, he gives him he gives Mordrin a real sense of dignity, I think. Yeah. He's, yeah. I mean, Mordrin's the baddie, isn't he? But he doesn't come across as the baddie. And I think, you know, he, he plays it very understated, very, you know, in, we know that the Doctor is going to have to give up his life to save Mordrin. And Mordrin knows that, and he knows exactly what's going to happen. And he just kind of lets it play out, and he's... No, you own free will. You'll be back. You know, it's it's very understated. Do you think it's it's you need the Black Guardian in this because it is so understated that you kind of need a more obvious cackling sort of villain? Well, that was the question I was going to ask is, you know, in terms of bringing back something from the past, would this story have worked better with the Master than the Black Guardian Ooh. if we had... Nick Courtney playing off Anthony Ainley as the master. <laughs> it's interestingly when I, I I'm, when I first saw this in 1983, when you got the scenes in Turlo's head, I thought they'd recast the master, and I thought that was the master we were seeing. Oh, and my mum said, yeah. "Oh, don't be silly. <laughs> That's not the master." But then I thought it was the master who was with the gloved hands in the five doctors. So I fall for all of those. So <laughs> you're like all those people nowadays. I think the Rani's going to be in everything. It's the master. It's, well, exactly. It's always the master because the master's in it all the time in this era. So <laughs> um, it's a shame as well. Cause we were kind of robbed. There's only like a very brief sequence between Ainley and Nicholas Courtney in the five doctors. And it's just like, nice to see you again. Boah! And that's about it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I actually, Fraser, I think it would have been more interesting, actually. Oh, oh even if it was the master trying to seduce Turlo as well. Yeah. Wow. Oh no, that's brilliant. That's really cool. I think that would have been great if the master was just manipulating everything from behind the scenes. Well, we know he's got a thing for young lads because he, you know, he puts Adric up in the web in Castrovalva. 
He does. That's very true. He has he a gives, profound um, effect on him. Yeah, he gives um, <clears throat> Luke Ward some sweet meats. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm not even, all right? I'm not even. <laughs> um, but yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I think it would have been really, really interesting. Do we, do we, do we like, do, oh yeah, we, oh, we get the King Steamers, isn't it? That's when he turns up in this. Yeah. Yes, when the story where everyone should have walked out of the TARDIS, looked at Sergio's Stram and just gone, <laughs> it's the master. <laughs> and... <laughs> What do you think then? I'm preempting the ending because we're not quite there, but it deserves a little discussion. What do you think about how neat this all is? That the solution to Mordrin's problem and the solution as to why the brigadier lost his memory are exactly the same thing. It's bobbins again, isn't it? It's neat though. No, it's it? neat. It's, it's yeah. really nicely done. Uh, it just so happened to meet that just exact time that the power's building up in the regeneration machine and the just so oh it's this is Doctor Who though it's, you know it's, it's very often in episode four it just so happens to be the moment where Scaroff goes back in time to, to save the end of the world to destroy the world in primordial times you know like it's yeah and then Duggan's there and clobbers them because we've seen Duggan clobber things all you know, the, the last three episodes it's just it's a little bit too convenient it's i like i do like the neatness of um posing the mystery of why the brigadier lost his memory before we even learn about mordrin then we do get all the mordrin stuff and then the solution as to why the brigadier lost his memory hits yes yeah, yeah i've got no issue with the the reason that the brig lost his memory being the solution to the the issue or just that whole thing of them two meeting at that exact time is just oh. excuse me you're going to could be a story that has a bloody golden arrow hitting a spaceship just in exactly the right space so it can get off into space i mean talk about a coincidence it's robin hood he's the greatest archer in the world of course he's gonna make that shot no, no, it is what it's it is. harder for him not to make that shot than it is to <laughs> but the problem Even with is his feet, if we if we hadn't had that Brigadier ending, which I like, then we'd have had some techno babble um, sort of ending. There's a hell of a lot of techno babble in this episode, and it, it would have just been a one more um, tangential deviation coming out of the warp ellipse or whatever, you know. And actually, dramatically, it works really well. I think. So, so I also want to talk about Tegan, right, and how yes. she has a quite dramatic reaction to the idea of the Doctor committing suicide. And then a wonderfully gentle scene afterwards where she goes up to him and says, you were willing to say, risk your life to save the rest of us. Thank you very much. Now, I've read readings that Tegan is in love with the Doctor. I've read essays that women have written in fanzines and books and things like that. Does any of that hold weight? No, I think it's just a lovely scene. And it's, I think it's not, it's not about love. I think it's about a really deep friendship. Mm. And that this is your someone that you really like willing to give up everything for you and that's and just saying thank you for that means a lot 
What about when he says to in the King's Demon, another way of keeping warm when pointing out? <laughs> well, there's an obsession with beds in this era. Really so is. the first thing Nissa says when they find Waldron here is, shouldn't we get him into a bed? <laughs> yes, no, we've dragged him this far at the concert. We can't possibly drag that him any do. further. Yeah, get a cushion. Get, get a cushion. Costume. Get we're a blanket to, or two. Uh, we're about to meet... Uh, Star of EastEnders Lucy Benjamin playing Nissa in a minute. Mm-hmm. And Tegan, who loses her, her Australian accent the younger she gets. <laughs> but I think, like Frieza said, like, this is full of like good ideas. This is another like yeah. disturbing idea. I really like the fact that they can't escape from the ship because the time travel is affecting them in a way that time travel never does. And so the Doctor has to choose to commit suicide because otherwise his yeah, friends because it, he die. to save his friends and that's ultimately that's what his doctor does <laughs> at the end of his on, life no. the doctor isn't committing suicide though no the well, doc- he's giving up the rest he's of his life isn't he which is apparently the only thing that makes you a time lord is the fact that you can regenerate um but it's it's a little bit because yeah, he he's still going to be alive he'll walk out of there just not be able to regenerate anymore but well, technically, he's committing future suicide several times. There we yeah. go. So, I mean, the thing that caught me about this was, you know, why is is the Doctor happy to do that for Nyssa and Tegan, but not the others? It seems a little bit of a, a curious spin on the Doctor's morality that he will sort of, you know, yeah, fine, it's Nyssa and Tegan, so that's that's the line. It has to be someone that I'm friends with that I will do this for. I don't know if we're just sort of conditioned more to modern doctors who are more self-sacrificing in that way, you know, that they will, you know, jump into a, you know, radiation field. He's still young here. He's, he hasn't learned all of that yet. Do you think it's, does that stick out for you guys or am I just reading? You know, I've never ever thought about that. I mean, (laughs) Willing to sacrifice himself for that wretched pair. It don't make any sense at all, does it? <laughs> but yeah, well, you know, he's the hero of the story. I'm, I'm prepared to go with it. Maybe he should have just made the choice anyway. Like just being a, a nice fellow that he is. That's yeah, and that that's for uh, that's what struck me. It's like I would expect the doctor just to be able to to want to do that, not because he's had his hand forced by, you know. The fact that he's he can't leave without his companions or whatever, then you know it, it's just the sort of thing the doctor would do anyway, rather than have to be have to do. Can I say something a bit strange? It, it, don't you think that eighties TARDIS looks terrific? I really love it. Oh, yeah. It's the best. It's the best TARDIS of them all. It just landed there, and I just I was getting yeah. a bit hard on looking at it. If I'm honest with you. Honestly, sorry, stop it. Uh, what about what about this console room? Well, I prefer the redesign with all the buttons. Yes, but this one was easy to draw when you were young. No, that's true. Because there wasn't the, all of those buttons for the five doctors. One was very complicated, but this one you had really distinct things to draw. You know the red one it opens the door, doesn't it? Yeah. What is the black knob for? This sort of goes around. I don't know. 
It's no, probably the dimensional stabilizer. I'll go and check the TARDIS technical manual and let you know what that is. Thank you very much. I have a bit of an obsession with black knobs, and I want to know exactly what that one does. All right. Stop it. Apparently, right, that, that crystal that he's holding in his hand there, there's a wire that's running down his sleeve into a battery that's in his pocket that lights it up. And it used to burn his hand all the time. Yeah, it was uh, a really powerful lamp because the studio lights were so high that to make the crystal glow in a way that would be picked up by the camera, it had to be a really strong mm. light bulb and current going through it. So, yeah, poor old Mark Strickson suffered for that crystal. He's doing good acting there, then, isn't he? He's not, he's not yeah. playing. Yeah, well, he always does good acting. He's he, He's got a very expressive face, and there's lots of close-ups of his eyes in this story and his weird, weird eyebrows. He's got mad eyes, hasn't he? He has. And he says that himself in the commentary. Um, it's like um, Gowron's eyes. Oh, my God, yeah. Glory mm-hmm. to you and your house. And I'm going to say this because you know what? I get a chance to say this very often because every time we do one of these things, it's pretty women, Fraser. But he's a very pretty man as well, Mark's Strickland. And that does not harm my enjoyment whatsoever. <laughs> Especially when he took his, uh, you know, we saw his underpants in Planet of Fire. Okay, I'm going to stop there. <laughs> <laughs> this is the this is the scene I was talking about about in episode three about Peter Davison and just the sort of you know the naturalistic performance that he gives I think really suits a scene like this I can't imagine any other doctor being able to play this stillness and this resignation as well as as Peter Davison can you know Tom's going to be clarting around locking it up Colin's going to be pulling all sorts of faces John Pertwee's going to be you know milking it for everything he's got isn't he I think you know Peter Davison is the only one that can really you know hit the hit the emotional depth of this I mean that's just I think he looks it's just all in a look all in a look I think he looks a bit bored he's just he's he's, he's he's always interesting to watch he's thinking up his shopping list right pound of spuds yeah okay (laughs) no sorry I'm being rude now (laughs) Um, did you see the blocking in that scene though, where they had to have all the characters in a line? Yeah, it's a very Peter Moffat scene. It's a tight eight shot <laughs> of everyone on camera. But it's, it, yeah, like I think in the visitation, it's at its absolute worst. There's some scenes in that. Yeah, box. there's lots of very like, static shots, and people don't move; they just stand. And I think maybe he got better as he went along. Remember when we did the two doctors and the camera was like swooping around that kind of ducting and stuff. Like he was starting to, I wouldn't say he ever got dynamic, but he was starting to get a bit more visually interesting. Maybe because so much of his film on location. There's some good angles in this. There's some good, you know, long shots. Yeah, there's, and there's, there's this one here where, I don't know if I missed it, but where Turtle hides behind a pillar and then Wheelie's the brig, um, Tash Brig, um, you know, and that's that's a really well constructed shot. There, the brig yeah, comes okay. in, and then Turtle Wheelie's him. But that bit there I where think... it went past, the camera was completely static as they came down, as they came around the corner, as they went yeah. off, and it's like, well, well, that's that's boring. That's not interesting to watch. But the... he does a good good job 
of selling the fact that they probably only got a few meters of corridor, but he makes yeah. it all feel like it's different places. I, I maintain that there's a lot of effort going into this that ain't Peter Moffat to make this visually interesting and all really interesting. One thing he does. I just think you can't get away with a Moffat, regardless of which one it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Peter Davison's a Moffat, really. So yes, there we go. <laughs> yes, as well. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I ate all you coming out now. I think I think his daughter gives a dreadful performance in the Doctor's daughter as well, well and she's a Moffat. True. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, one thing Peter, uh, Peter Moffat does extremely well, always, he casts extremely. He well. does cast phenomenally well, and that's half your battle with Doctor Who, isn't it? Is if you get yeah, if you've got the actors in, then your your three quarters of the way there because they yeah. will be able to sell whatever the material is. However, lamely, it's directed but i think on location he's he's very strong a lot of lo- like rich Martin, yeah. a lot of people are so if it's a story with tons of location like the five doctors like the two doctors it's less and, noticeable oh, yeah he, and this is you know, one of the stories of the davidson era where we haven't got any stunt casting it's all it's a it's a, a good cast yeah um I mean, you could argue that the brig is stunt casting, but other than that, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Do you mean stunt casting as in a celebrity? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a big name to, to bring the, the viewers in. If you obviously say, oh, well, the brig's coming back in, in next week's episode, then that's going to bring them in. But you know what? I very rarely object to the stunt casting. Meryl Reed? No. Run. Nerys, Lisa Goddard. Lisa Goddard. Linda Barron. Nicholas Parsons. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Parsons, Joan Sims, yep, Richard Bryce. Oh no, maybe not that one. No. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Bryce, of course, Richard Bryce. <laughs> Very understated. Do you know what's fabulous about this last episode as well? There's a real sense of optimism about the future at the end. Yes. Where it's like the brig goes off and the music's all jolly and they come into the TARDIS, he shakes hands and it's like the ship blows up and it's like yes we're off on an adventure with this new crew now, and newish. I think there's it's lovely for the brigadier that the Doctor comes back into his life and makes it all better, and I think that if this had been the last brigadier story, I think that would have been a really nice ending for him, and I can imagine after after they've had that little console scene, they actually all come back out of the TARDIS and go and have a cup of tea with him. They don't leave then, I think. Like the end of Sharda. Yeah, uh, I can see that. And I think there's a little bit of warmth there. And it's... I mean, Yeah, I, I think... Sorry, Fred. For all, you know, for all that ending as a sort of like public school teacher seems a fitting progression for the brig. I yes, think and that's not where I would want them to end up. I don't no. want them in that shed, in that school. I would want him to have what he has in Battlefield, sort of the house, the wife, the life to go with that. And that, that feels I more... I quite like the unpredictability of this, that this is not where you see him, but this is where he's ended up anyway. And I, yeah. I think that's rather nice. Well, you know yeah. what happens next, don't you? He marries into money. <laughs> He does. 
Well, he never says how much his army pension's worth. He said, oh, I could live off it, but he's, he's never said exactly how much he's... Yeah, I could live off it in this mansion in the hills. Maybe they've just miscalculated his payments and he's got a huge back payment coming. <laughs> Have you noticed how Nissa's been wearing less and less the more time she's been travelling in Antardis? Yeah, and wait till next... Wait till three <laughs> yeah. weeks' time. <laughs> but she was fairly covered up, wasn't she? Like, for most of 19... Yeah, in trousers, very high collar, and, uh, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. No. yeah, I do. I really do like a neat plot that comes together like a nice jigsaw puzzle, you know. And this really does. It's very satisfying. But if if Tashbrig loses his memory because he's touched Cloth Capbrig, how come Capbrig doesn't lose his memory here as well? Well, you just have to go because it reverses it. <laughs> That's why. Wasteful in our enjoyment. All right. <laughs> we said nice things about Peter Davidson's story here. Oh, I like, I like his face, but it's just the TARDIS material. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, everyone likes a nice comedy reaction to the TARDIS going. That's great. <laughs> or just, we'll drop them there. We'll dump them. We'll dump them on the grass. And you know off. what we needed, though? We needed that. Colin Baker and Brigadier story between this and Battlefield, you know? Yeah. It feels like the puzzle is missing. We would have had yeah. it as well, wouldn't we? That yeah. original 23. Yeah. Was it Yellow Fever and How to Cure It? Mm-hmm. Don't worry, Ian Levine's made a fan copy of that with some fake actor playing the Brigadier. So I've seen little bits of it. It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> well, it weren't written by Robert Holmes, was it? Uh, there is no. the was it the Spectre of Langian Moor? Oh, big finish. Yeah, oh, that's, that's lovely. That's really worth a listen. It's full to, of. To, to, to... I'll tell you. It's what? Full of fugus. Fugus, yes. Oh my god! They're like, oh my god! What about Turlo? We left him in the shit that's about to blow up. <laughs> <laughs> Just like we did with Adric. Oh no! Oh look, there's Tiga. Oh for God's sake! All right, you must come along. I do like the handshake, though. Yeah, that's a nice little moment, isn't it? And the way they look I at I think it. you already have. <laughs> yeah, that little double take between the two of them is great. Have you seen the Shirley and Laverne? Tyler yeah. As Nissa and <laughs> that look they give each other there is in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and boom! It's... Go on, Fraser, you're dying to say something. <laughs> I think you already have. Well, you're you're literally back where you picked him up, mate. You can literally spot him <laughs> on the door. <laughs> All right, fellas, tell me. Uh, I need three reasons apiece from both. Hmm. both oh of my them. god! That's okay. Why people should go and watch Modern Undead. That uh, should we go round one, one, one? Oh, that's good. Right. Do it that way. So that, me, so that, me yeah, so that we don't yeah. all pinch all the good ones to begin with. Go on in, Fraser. Um, well, I'm going to start with Peter Davison because Peter Davison, as we've discussed, is a fantastic doctor and he is um really good in this. I think he 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 has everything that I would want from Peter Davison from a doctor in this story. I think that. Um, you know, that, that stillness when he needs to be, the energy when it needs to be. This is a really good 
good story for for Peter Davison. So he is my first pick. I'm gonna say weirdly, given what I said earlier, Tegan, who I think gets a sterling episode two and a really strong episode four as well. Okay, I'm going to say Nicholas Courtney giving a very stately performance and having moments of anger and moments of the Brigadier that we've never seen the Brigadier the like of before. Mm. Fraser? Um, well, I was going to say Nicholas Courtney as well. I suppose I still can because he was in it twice, wasn't he? But, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Instead, I, I'm, I'm going to say Peter Moffat because I do like the direction in this. I think there is a lot of, of good things to enjoy visually. I think, you know, there's a lot of good camera angles. There's a lot of, you know, scenes where the camera, you know, will track, uh, track someone as they move into a scene and stay there and let them move out, which just you know makes it interesting for me so i think it's interesting i think it's you know it's it might not be dynamic or you know flashy or anything but it's it's solid and visually very good to look at uh, i'm very quickly gonna say the score is unforgettable sorry that's true uh mark strickson makes a great introduction and is brilliant from the off and never stops being brilliant well again i was going to go for paddy kings and being off his tits um throughout <laughs> but you've nicked that one so i'm gonna to have to say the set design of the starliner um because that is really uh, you know mentioned but i don't think i've talked enough about it it's really quite sumptuous and you know, obviously, again, it's probably not a massive set, but it looks like a massive set. It looks full of corridors and full of pillars and palm trees and foliage and pictures. And it really does look like that sort of stately um, top, top end sort of cruise ship that you would expect. So, yeah, set design for me. Uh, I'm My last one is going to be, I love how this story kind of rejects what this era goes for a lot, which is action Doctor Who, and goes to something a bit more thoughtful, uh, primarily the two time zones in episode two and sort of the moral dilemma in episodes three and four and and just the higher concept of uh, Mordrin and his people using that technology and being immortal. It's just, it's a bit more substantial than some of this era normally is. Okay, I'm going to nominate a single line from this story. <laughs> and I am going to say, I really love the line when the Brigadier turns around and says, take it from me, boy. A solid object just can't dematerialise. Because <laughs> that's just great. And you know what? We've got a tiny bit of time. Let's provide some balance here. One thing a piece that doesn't quite work. Fraser. Fraser doesn't work for the Los Angeles. <laughs> um, probably, probably the resolution for me. I think that that resolution is just too, too convenient. That sort of, you know, one in a bazillion chance of them, you know, doing ET at the precise time they need to save everybody. Um, probably you know, do a little bit more effort. You could have come up with something just as satisfying, but more 
plausible. I was literally giving you an opening then after fr- uh, after Sai chose a line for you to say that disgusting line. You know, I really oh. go for that. Um, oh gosh, now I've got to say something. Uh, Nissa is completely back, poorly served as ever. Very much so. She's very sidelined in this one. And I'm okay if I've got to come up with one. Uh, none of the cliffhangers are particularly great or hugely memorable. Although I say that and I did remember the explosion one, but I think they they could have been they could have been something stronger. I quite like I quite like episode one's cliffhanger. I don't know why. I think it's the music more than anything. Yeah, it gives it a bit of tension, doesn't it? Mm. So Wait, there we go. Oh my God, that's no, that's... no, 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 oh. no. We can't leave on a down. We can't leave on what we don't like about it. So we're going to have to think of one more thing each that we're like. <laughs> oh, you've literally got, we've got four minutes. We've got to do it in a hurry. Right. So my my number four to go out on a high. Waking or sleeping, you will never escape me, boy. <sighs> Um, I'm going to say that, uh, I was highly distracted by the tight shorts of the public school boys. Oh God, that sounds awful. <laughs> and I'm going to say David Collings being stately and dignified in a very odd costume. And I'm, I'm going to wrap it up by saying next time, because he's bitched and whinged about it so much. The three of us are going to come together and do Robot of Sherwood first. Because oh. clearly big things waiting for us in that commentary. Oh, right. I've, I've, we'll see. <laughs> I have, I've staked my reputation on this that it's going to be worth it. So I'm going to have to deliver now, aren't I? You certainly. I'm excited. I'm salivating. <laughs>